HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. My name is Sarah Kim, and I'm from Austin, Texas. I'm a Cheeselandian because while life is great, cheese makes it better. Go to Cheeselandia.com to learn more, and if it's for you, sign up. Welcome to item 13 uh, for our episode this week. I am thrilled to have Ruth. Oh, and I did not get this off air, but you will tell me how to pronounce your last name cor- correctly. Ruth Nakar? Yes, perfect. Oh, great. <laughs> Who um, owns a West... Well, we'll talk about that a little bit more, but she owns a West African Ichi out in Philly, um, and we'll be hearing a little bit more about her story how she started the business, and then just West African food trends in general. So welcome to the show, Ruth. Thank you for having me. I'm excited. Yeah, this is great. Like I said, I've been following your story. Um, Super vibrant pictures of food on your social pages that make us all go hungry all the time. So I'm thrilled to have you on to talk about, especially the concept too, the food, the concept, how you came up with all of that. So, But always start with wanting to know um, a little bit about you, your background, sort of where you grew up and your early connections to food. Yeah, so um, I was actually born in Israel to Ghanaian parents. Oh, um, wow. Yeah, it's random. <laughs> I was there um, until I was one years old, and then we moved to the U.S., um, Connecticut specifically, when I was one. And I grew up in Connecticut. Um, yeah, it was a, a really nice childhood. I grew up in a really diverse neighborhood in New Haven, Um was surrounded. I just remember I have childhood memories of being in my neighborhood and just smelling all these mm. wonderful aromas during dinner time. Um, there are a lot of Chinese immigrant families, a lot of Indian immigrant families, and it's just beautiful to smell all those smells along with the food of my mom, Ghanaian cuisine. And yeah, food for me has always just been a really great vehicle to learn about somebody's culture. It's funny because when I was growing up, when I got more into my teen years, I really resisted going into the kitchen or when my mom tried to bring me to the kitchen to teach me how to cook, I would always give her excuses like I need to study or I need to practice piano, blah, blah, blah. So I never really got that formal training, but it was when I went to college and I studied abroad in Japan, actually, 
where I got really, really, really homesick for Ghanaian food. Mm. And um, I just remember like frantically emailing my mom, like having <laughs> jollof rice. And that first attempt at jollof rice was really bad, really pitiful. <laughs> Um, but yeah, that was like my first, it took me going an ocean away, right. the way, um, to really love, um, my cuisine, the cuisine that I grew up with. And, um, yeah, ever since then, I kind of have seen food, as I said before, as a vehicle to learn about somebody's culture, but also a very democratic way of spreading culture and also an easy way. Um, and for me, being a first-generation Ghanaian-American, I grew up with two different types of cuisines, Ghanaian food at home and then American food when I left the house. And Fudena, I guess that segues into what Fudena's story is. I just wanted a way, to, an easy way to consume the food that I love um, rather than just going to a sit-down pre-pandemic, going to a, a <laughs> West African full-service restaurant and just waiting to get like some jollof rice or some plantain and beans. Like I wanted to be in and out in 10 minutes tops. Um, so yeah, this is a really, it was born out of, of a personal pain point. And yeah, that's kind of the origin story of why I started Fudena. Cool. Um, that's just so many interesting things to to unpack there. One, just your experience in Japan. I wouldn't have thought so. I haven't lived in Japan, but I visited and I would not have imagined that you would even be able to find ingredients or making food from home. So that's 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 pretty yeah, cool. Surprise. Um, yeah, there is a I mean, there's a lot of Nigerians there, of course, because I feel like Everywhere. Yeah. Um, that's a good thing. I'm, that's like a- yeah, for sure. I mean, I mean, we we joke, but no, you can find Nigerians everywhere. <laughs> I really admire their hustle, but yeah, because of there's a a small pocket of um, Africans there. I actually went to a Ghanaian restaurant. Like, oh wow! Of Tokyo one night because I was just so homesick, and yeah, I was. It was a really great experience to just get the food. Like um, jollof rice, plantain, star beer that I love from Ghana. <laughs> um, yeah, Japan. There's a there's a my, a small but mighty uh, food scene. Wow, that's cool. Yeah, I will keep that in mind for if I ever go back to Japan. Okay, so now, um, yeah, so all of those experiences informed your uh, decision to start uh, Fudena. Tell us about Fudena. First of all, what does it mean? I I don't think. Yeah. I don't think it's in a Ghanaian language that at least I'm familiar with. Yeah, so um, Fudana is actually a modification of a uh, Dagari phrase. So Dagari is the oh. uh, language of my parents. Um, we're from the Dagati tribe, which is in the Upper West of Ghana. Yeah. It into Burkina Faso. So um, the phrase is Fudana, and it directly translates into have you eaten? So I heard this a lot um, from my mom asking my dad, actually, um, <laughs> when she got home from work or he got home from work. And it's like, yeah, have you eaten? But also um, I'm asking, it's a question out of love. Like I'm asking because I care. Even when I was like, whenever I'm away from home, my mom was always like, have you eaten? And I'm like, why do you care? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's <laughs> but like, I just, I, I realized it wasn't, I realized it was just like 
oh, how are you? Like, are you being fed? Are you happy? Are, are you content? Yeah. So we so we... through Swedana through the name and just uh, give homage to my culture. Yeah, it's so funny you say that because that's a very, um, well, maybe West African. Mm, well, let me not, not let, me, let me not extrapolate that. It's a very <laughs> Ghanaian thing. And um, I've come to think of it as um, the way that people express how they love you. Because saying, I love you, um, is not like. Um, typical right or it doesn't come easy to a lot of traditional traditional parents or whatever Mm -hmm. and so for me I've over time I've seen I've realized that that question of you know asking have you eaten is actually one of the ways in which they implicitly (laughs) express um you know their love for you so that's cool that's good to remember okay so tell me then how did you so you decide you want to start um something that's quick and easy versus sitting down what do you where do you go from there yeah um so i so i was living in dc um and then when i kind of had this idea because i was just out that was the first time where i was out in the real world and i was strapped for time and i just wanted food in an easy way um and it wasn't until i moved to philly for business school so i i graduated with my MBA from Wharton this past Oh, year. cool. Congrats. Thank you. It's kind of anticlimactic because we graduated <laughs> <by> Zoom, but... <laughs> oh! <laughs> um, but yeah, I I kind of toyed with the idea first year of um, school, which was 2018, uh, but I didn't really get into it until second year. I had just come out of an internship in New York um, in media, and I was, I just found myself like at the desk throughout the day when I was doing um, my work, I was kind of like writing on a napkin, like the business plan for Fudena. And I was like, huh, maybe I should explore this during my second year because what, what do I have to lose? So um, when I got back on campus, I immediately started hosting recipe tastings um, on campus. Um, so I recruited my friends, random classmates, and we gathered like around 10 people to like a small room on campus, like a study room. And I brought in so many versions of jollof rice that I made people <laughs> taste all of it and take surveys and just do like a focus group. So oh, I did wow. all of that. So yeah, business school really taught me to be like analytical about all that. Stuff. Yeah. But um, yeah, I did recipe tastings, finalized the menu. Um, and then the next year, so it was around January or February of 2020 is when I started to really do some um, pickup or catering and events for uh, club parties, what mm-hmm. have you. And I started to do like a pickup pilot. So I cooked in my tiny studio apartment, <laughs> like carried all these bowls to campus. And then um, Corona happened. And <laughs> <laughs> I always got to mention that Corona. Um, and yeah, I moved to, uh, to Connecticut to be with my family. I was quarantining there for like two months. The idea kind of like simmered. I got disheartened and discouraged. I saw all these restaurants closing. And mm. I was like, this is crazy. Like, Ruth, why do you want to start a restaurant during a 
pandemic. But then um, it was around May when I was talking to a lot of my friends. They were like, Ruth, don't give up from mentors. They were like, this is the perfect time to start something because um, consumer behavior is changing to more of a delivery model. Like people still want to eat food. Um, so yeah, I came back to Philly in May and I really started cooking in earnest. Um, I was cooking in my apartment and then having people come and pick up in my apartment lobby. It was, um, I was trying not to tip off my landlord. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say. Yeah, it was just me coming down <laughs> and just like handing off bags to random people. But um, yeah, I started doing that. That was um, May and June. And it really like took off. And I reached out to somebody I knew, a restaurant owner in Philly, and she linked me up with somebody else, um, another restaurant owner. And from there, I got into a commercial kitchen um, in July. Oh, wow. So, yeah, we cook every, oops, sorry. So we cook every Sunday when the restaurant is closed. And we've been doing that since July. And it's been great. We've been getting a wow. That's amazing. So what, like in terms of finding customers, because it sounds like it took off very quickly. Were your initial customers um, primarily your classmates in the beginning or? Yeah, definitely. <laughs> my classmates, they were like my ride or die. They saw okay. me when the rest the recipes sucked. They gave me really harsh <laughs> But I love them. Okay. And then in terms of the menu, so what's your current menu now? What's the standard menu? I know you do bowls, for example. Yeah. Um, so we our current menu is really simple. So we have bowls um, that consist of grains, proteins, veggies, and then a stew. So you can customize it, um, make it more vegetarian or vegan friendly. Then I also introduced three signature bowls to kind of take the choice out of more, um, I guess, hesitant consumers. Cause I know yeah. people might be intimidated by all those choices. So we have the jollof complex, which is jollof rice, pan seared chicken thigh and sauteed kale. Mm. And we have wache is bay, which is <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I came up with these names myself and I'm, like, <laughs> I'm kind of like proud of it, but also kind of, yeah, it's uh, <laughs> no, that's, those are cool names. Thank you. So the Wache is Bay has Wache, which is rice and black eyed peas, um, uh, curried goat, and then caramelized onions. That also comes with a stew. And then our final signature bowl is in love with the coconut, which is coconut rice, uh, pan seared tilapia, and roasted sweet potatoes. Ooh. And then we also have um, plantain donuts as a side. So that's our menu right now. But once we get um, like a more permanent space, I'm really excited to expand our menu to have more food, whether it's from um, uh, more of West Africa and um, other parts of the Black diaspora, um, more beverages, all that stuff. I'm excited. All that good stuff. Yeah. yeah, That's our menu right now. (laughs) So see where actually um, outlining your menu, two things popped up for me one was um the idea of authenticity and even as i asked about your initial customers so i wonder if um when you even talk of wharton because i i have a lot of i have a few friends who went to wharton so i think about 
the Wharton Africa um, group. I wonder if those were your primary customers or if you had people outside of that group. And then what was their response in terms of the food? Yeah. Um, and then when you compare that to, you know, the Africa, I forget what the specific they're called, the Africa Club or, you know, um, the Wharton Africa business club or something yeah. like that. I forget specifically what it was called, but um, if you, you know, comparing just the idea of being authentic versus appealing to a quote-unquote a mainstream yeah. Um, audience. Yeah, that's a million-dollar question. <laughs> something I feel grateful with, but um, in terms of the Wharton uh, client, well, the Wharton um, customer base, I definitely started with my friend circle. So a lot of my friends were Black, um, African-American, straight from the continent, also first-generation African um, Mm. children like me. So it really really spanned the gamut of that. But they they were really ardent supporters of me from the the jump. Um, And I'll be forever grateful. But they loved it because it was kind of, it was like familiar, but also mm-hmm. kind of modern. And that's something that was missing, um, especially in Philadelphia. We have a lot of um, West African restaurants, but nothing really like fast, casual West African yeah. that mixes a lot of different um, foods together. Um, so yeah, that was one facet of my, of the Wharton customer base. But then I also had people who are not, Black, not African, not Caribbean, who really love the food. Um, other first-generation immigrants from other countries, such as um, South Asia, East Asia, um, white guys, like they love <laughs> um, Yeah, and I, I remember doing like a tasting in the MBA cafe on campus and just like sitting there with my food and like all these random people came and just ate it. They've never had African food before, but like they loved it at least that's what they told me um but yeah they seem to enjoy it it was just a matter of access um and in regards to the question of authenticity um yeah that's something i constantly toe the line between authenticity and being and being true to the culture um or not true to the being authentic versus appealing to the mainstream palette Mm -hmm. and i'm not going to pretend that we give you food that you can get at like a Ghanaian like chop bar (laughs) by the beach like it's not gonna be like that and I'll never (laughs) say that (laughs) but it's like there there are places you can go to enjoy that real authentic um experience but then I really saw like a white space in the market for this kind of concept like fast casual African flavors but then also um, convenient and accessible. So yeah. yeah, something I struggle with a lot, but I think the solution or what helps me is just to know that I'm in my own lane and just to focus on that. Yeah, I think there's room to, to that point, there's room to do so much, so much in, in the space. And, and that's that's a great like white space that sort of you identified, right? So yeah. coming in and seeing that, because when you think about, and you know, we'll talk about your future plans down the road, but one of the things, you know, your pain point was just being able to, you know, do a grab and grab and go essentially very quickly versus having to sit down. Um, 
another potential pain point for uh, maybe people who are working but who still want to have like and this addresses it to some extent to some extent right so I work in an office I want to be able to go to um, a place pick up and go but also you know to address that question of like how truly authentic do you want to be? If we went way down, like <laughs> authentic, there are some foods that you just can't bring back to the office, yeah. right? <laughs> and so that also addresses that in some ways, because I just literally just pictured um, when I was working when <laughs> back in my days as a banker, um, we had a Chipotle mm -hmm. um, on the ground floor of our building and, for me, I remember particularly during a very busy period, like that's all I would eat. Like I literally would go downstairs. There was a Chipotle and a Starbucks, like mm. literally, you know, back to back. And I would just grab my coffee, grab my Chipotle and that was it. And there were times where, especially in the winter, and I'd be like, oh my God, what I would give for, you know, some really good authentic, yeah. well, maybe not so authentic, but really good, you know, West African stew in particular. And so I could see how this would address that um that need as well yeah um okay so i think this is a good time to take a break when we come back i want to touch quickly very quickly still on the concept and then also just on this idea of west african food becoming a trend mm -hmm. <laughs> um and then we'll also talk about the work you do with how you source your ingredients and then your big plans big plans i hope for 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 2021 and going forward so um you're listening to item 13 we will be right back my name is sarah kim and i'm from austin texas I'm a Cheeselandian because while life is great, cheese makes it better. Wisconsin cheese has proven time and time again to be a delicious expression of craft, hard work, and tradition. As a Cheeselandian, I am able to share a Gouda experience with fellow cheese and food lovers nationwide, as well as connect with cheese producers and cheesemongers, taking my love of cheese to another level. I invite you to join Cheeselandia because during these difficult times, it has been even more important to take it easy and get cheesy. The Cheeselandia community and events have been the glue helping to keep us together and connected, and I would love it if you would join me. And let's face it, if you hear the word cheese and get a little hungry, then you've found a place you can call home. To find out more about Cheeselandia, go to cheeselandia.com. So, <laughs> welcome back. Um, before the break, we were talking about, you know, the you know, you addressing this white space of fast casual west african um spaces right and one of the things as we were talking about that that came up was this idea of west african food being being a trend or being trendy mm -hmm. <laughs> but one particularly i think over the last couple of years but particularly this past year one with the whole um america coming to its racial reckoning if you will and the focus on you know supporting a lot of black owned enterprises across the board i think was helpful for some of these especially west and i don't know why west african food specifically like popped up in the way that it did i don't know if you have any ideas but i wanted to get your thoughts on one i mean i don't see it as a trend but mm -hmm. but you know those are the headlines that you see just wanted to get your thoughts on that in general 
That is actually funny because um, 2019, the fall of 2019, um, I actually moderated a panel at the War in Africa Business Conference mm. called Capitalizing on Africa's Rising Cultural Currency. <laughs> but I started off the panel by asking people whether they thought like um, West African uh, or in like the increased interest in West African culture was a trend or um, or like, was it here to stay or was it yeah. just sad? And everybody except one person, um, <laughs> it was here to stay. And we used the rest of that panel to discuss that from different lenses, like from fashion, from travel yeah. to arts, to food um, and media. So I think, I mean, I've seen this, as somebody who's grown up in the U.S. as right. an African child, like, I just remember being a child and, like, feeling in- invisible, like, my culture was right. invisible. Um, I feel like, especially in the U.S., when people see that you're Black, they kind of make assumptions of, like, what that Blackness is. And I think over the past decade, especially, Blackness has been fleshed out. It's not been... Um, seen as the monolith that once was, like people are finally understanding like, oh, you're black. So like you can be from like a different right. part of the world. Um, Cause yeah, I just remember growing up and like being in school and just people not really knowing what Ghana was. Just getting <laughs> confused with Guyana or Guinea. <laughs> um, and yeah, I really, that like erasure or ignorance mm-hmm. really like stuck with me. And I think that is a driving force behind why I like ride so hard for African culture, for black culture, for diaspora consciousness. Um, But yeah, I guess that goes back to food as well. Like I I love the arts. I love the anything creative, um, anything that uses um, African culture as an inspiration. So that includes food as well. And I think it's something that's here to stay. You see that in music. Um, Burner Boy was in New York <laughs> Times. Like, he's like a darling now. Um, you see that with Drake back in 2016 when he got a whiz kid on one dance. Mm-hmm. Like, Nollywood is becoming mainstream. Um, yeah. Even oh, Beyonce, it's Beyonce's Blackest King. Oh, yeah, too, definitely. Right? Yeah, Beyonce, like, once you know Beyonce's on it. Like, <laughs> 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 Um, but yeah, I think it's really beautiful. I definitely think it's overdue as somebody who's like lived almost three decades, like as mm-hmm. like I just felt invisible, but it's like I think it's a um like a shift, especially in the Western world, that there's more um there's more out there. And I feel like people want to be people want to be educated, they wanna learn. I think right. over the past decade people have um, become aware, like, oh, yeah, there's, I don't know everything. Oh, wow, like, West Africa, there's, like, a difference between African co- countries. Like, Africa's not a continent. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, establish that level of understanding, I think we can go to, like, the next level. So I think we're in that phase. Um, but, yeah, I definitely think it's here to stay. And I think this is a perfect time if anybody wants to start anything African related. Yeah. Related, like this is the perfect time. 
Yeah, I agree. I, I, yeah, I agree. I think it's here to stay. I'm loving the new ones that people are beginning to understand, you know, um, if, and especially I think if you're Nigerian, you're probably like relieved that, you know, the typical stereotypes people have <laughs> about, you know, Nigerians is now being taken over by the amazing, like, um, you know, you can say all you want about those negative stereotypes, but uh, Nigerians' assertive, assertiveness, which some might call even aggressiveness, um, in how they push forward culture, whether it's music, mm-hmm. through music, through like um, artwork, whatever, like it's just something to behold. And I can see, well, depending on how things pan out locally on the continent, I can see, you know, Nigeria's influence on like even Black American and UK Black culture becoming more and more, um, quote, I hate the term mainstream, but yeah. No, I love the Nigerian, like it's all, like when I say that they're Nigerian, jollof, like tastes like glorified rice and stew, it's a joke. (laughs) It's a lot of love. Like I love. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean that 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 is one where I will not like. I don't know. Nigerian jollof for me is not it, but I respect Nigerians on all of them. <laughs> oh, I love so. Yeah, I have so many Nigerian friends, and like I it's all love, it's all respect. It's, all love. it's love, but then the jollof is just not for me. Um, no comment. <laughs> <laughs> all right, cool. So, um. One of the interesting things that you had mentioned that I wanted to talk about is around, well, just in general, even before specifically talking about your work with with Black-owned farms, is around the ingredient sourcing. Because um, Fudena is in Philly. Well, like, where where would you say you're located? Yeah, so... Because you're sort of yeah. over East Coast, right? Yeah, so, um, yeah, we're in Philly uh, for now. And um, with hopes of expanding into a nationwide chain within the next mm. years. Um, but yeah, I really want to get our operations down in Philly before expanding. But um, in regards to our sourcing, uh, currently we work with a Black-owned farm in North Philadelphia um, uh, called the Urban Creators. And um yeah, we've been sourcing a lot of, they, they grow a lot of crops that are native to like the Black American cuisine. So a lot of collard greens mm-hmm. I get from them, kale, um, all that good stuff. But I really see Fudena as like my ultimate goal and vision is to create this network of Black-owned farms, like just being able to source from Black-owned farms. Um, I I know that business can be a tool for good. Um, I don't think it's like, I don't want it to be charity. It's like, I'm paying you for goods. You're going to use the money um, to grow and to become even greater. Like it's a win-win situation. And um, yeah, I always throw around this statistic, but it's really, it needs to be publicized, but less than 2% of farms in the U.S. are Black-owned, and that's an appalling statistic, um, especially when you consider the that this country was built on the labor of enslaved Africans, and it's like, yeah, centuries of that, centuries of oppression. Yeah. So I want Fudana, our small role is to help grow that network, um, publicize that, bring awareness, but mm-hmm. also... Um, give people the opportunity to support with their um, their dollars as well yeah. as their 
palettes. Um, yeah. The, wow, yeah. yeah. I, I have, I have, <laughs> I have so many questions, and now I hope like certain questions swelling in my head. One around, let me just voice them, and then we can go. One around the economics of it, mm-hmm. um, and then secondly, um, maybe probably tied to the economics, like in terms of scaling and volume, like how. Is there a percentage that we you'd be working towards, for example? And then lastly, like there's um I've had this conversation around black owned farms, like just in whether it's one on one conversations or just in rooms where it's come up and there's this and I don't know if you've gotten this from conversations you've had with farmers, um, but maybe let's start here around this idea that um black people are shying away from working on a farm because, you know, you mentioned the history, but also that history is painful. And so this idea of owning or working on a farm Mm -hmm. is not as appealing because of that history. Mm. Yeah. I don't know if you've, you've heard that sentiment. Um, yeah, I can't speak from like a black American. Right. Yeah. (laughs) But like, I definitely like just from my own experience, like being black in America and just, Seeing like agriculture is not like a, seen as a viable or sexy profession. Um, like we glorify the office corporate life, but nobody really talks about like getting your hands dirty and like living on a farm. Like that is hard, and not even to talk about like land, like access to land and land ownership. Um, like we can't even buy like millennials as a generation. Like we can't even buy a house. Like right. um, like land is a different kind of beast. But, um, yeah, agriculture, at least from, like, my experience, like, growing, like, being Ghanaian and, like, going back home and just seeing agriculture, like, a lot of people, like, I worked in development, international development. and Okay. And, like, a lot of the rhetoric was, like, surrounded, like, getting more youth involved in agriculture and, like, Mm -hmm. making it be, like, a viable profession, and I think, and, like, making it sexy by, like, dressing it up with, like, high tech and all this stuff. (laughs) I think there's a push in, like, sub-Saharan Africa to make agriculture more of a viable career, but I don't know if it's there yet. I don't really keep up with, um, like, the development stand or the development view of things, but, um, yeah, there's, especially back in America, like, I... I don't, I can't tell you, I don't have any right. friends that want to go and be a friend. <laughs> um, yeah. it's like where we are in life right now, like our age, yeah. late 20s, early 30s, mid 30s, but it's just like not talked about enough. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I always, I've, I've heard that quite a bit in a lot of conversations about land ownership and a lot of conversations about bringing in a younger generation. Um and all of that so it will be interesting to see how that evolves over time and so yeah so then back to one of my other question around the economics of it and and scaling one because there are not as many well it sounds like you have a specific partnership with with one farm but as you think about scaling and growing how does i i don't know if you've had time to think about it yet if i'm putting you in the spot but um given one you know the percentage of black owned farms nationwide even if we say staying on the east coast right so along that eastern corridor like and if you think about that um in terms of the economics for example how does that work right because they're probably producing at a scale that may not be Mm -hmm 
efficient for what you're trying to do because you also said you don't want to be a charity, right? So how do you think about that? Well, first, in terms of the, your one partnership, how do you manage that in terms of, well, and maybe you're still small scale now, but how do you manage that in terms of your needs versus what they can provide? And then as you think about scaling, what are some of the, your considerations in terms of, like, for example, maybe what I'm I'm gearing towards is will will there be a percentage of your operations, for example, versus versus you know a hundred percent being supplied by black-owned farms? Yeah. So yeah, very good questions and stuff that I always think about. Um, I like for now our goal. So we want to source a portion of our ingredients, um, especially with our the capacity that we're running at now. It's not. We really don't have the capacity to expand to more farms because um, we're only open one day a week, all like other boring stuff. But um, we definitely want to be able to increase the number of farms that we partner with. Um, I know in the Philly or like Jersey area, there are more farms that I do want to link up with once we're able to um, increase the days that we're open. Um, in terms of the economics of it, I kind of, I so in the business model for Fudena, there, we really bank on this trend or this like trend over the past decade of this more local farming, local mm-hmm. farming. Consumers want to be, especially millennial, Gen Z consumers, they want to buy into a social mission. They want to be able to feel like they're supporting um, with their, um, wallet um, that causes that are important to them. So I think people are, are willing to pay a premium for local um, farms, especially from black owned farms. That's yeah. something I, I'm still working through in regards to pricing and just yeah. making sure that we're making a profit, but then also um, being able to support the farms that we work with. But right now, yeah, our partnership is right now it's only one. Um, because of where we are at at our stage of growth but mm-hmm. ultimately i just want to be able to increase the number of farms that we're um working with i look to sweet green as an example because oh got it yeah they're really big on, on local farms and like they rotate their menus seasonally based on what's yeah. available um right now i or like back um in november like from July to November, I'd go to the farm every week and like haul all these <laughs> vegetables back and just like, yeah, it was, I want to, I want to get to a place where I don't have to do that personally. Yeah, I look to Sweet Green because they are able to really leverage that local angle for their um, benefit. Um, marketing purposes, all that good stuff. But I think that um, it's doable. Like I'll be able to get it done. It's just going to take a lot of work yeah. getting through the economics, supply chain. I'm working right. on it. I'm, <laughs> I'm optimistic that it will work. Yeah. No, that sounds like a great plan. I don't. You probably have heard of um, Oko Farms with um. No. Yemi, oh, uh, there's um she so she's a Nigerian American based in the New York City area, 
And so she does aquaphonic farming. And so she's also, so obviously it's black owned farm and she's, her goal is really trying to, you know, one show alternative, you, you know, use of, of land. So this idea of land ownership and not being able to own land, she's trying to show alternatives to farming outside of owning land, number one. And two, also providing nutritious foods for especially food deserts. So she's really, her target consumer is, um, you know, the black populations in the greater New York City area who want access to good, healthy food. Mm. Um, yeah, she's doing really great work. I can send you her information after this um, just to have her and her farm on your radar as you yep. think about um, expanding. She would be a good person to... Yeah, and I also, like, just even working on Fudana, like, I just love being able to learn more about things in areas that I did not know a lot about before. Like, farming was not on my radar at all. <laughs> yeah. Um, even though my grandparents were farmers, like, small older farmers, like, I yeah. uh, just, like, so far from my um, field of vision. So I've just loved the opportunity to learn more, talk to people, and just really bring awareness and a spotlight to an important issue yeah no she would be she would be a great person that's oko farms I'll, i can see if i can connect you too and then um just as you were talking about the you know the things you're learning like that is also so true for me in terms of i've just been in the food space now for almost six years so like you i you know i did my mba i did traditional banking blah 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 um but it's it's interesting to me how I came to this from my own pain point of like African food discovery, and now mm. I'm having to to learn like a on a bright wide range of topics like climate change, sustainability, like all the yeah. stuff that I wouldn't have thought like when I said, oh, I'm going to go into food, yeah. <laughs> that those would be on my radar at all. Like yeah. even equity, you know, like equity, this idea of food is that's like how thinking about how people get food and food systems how fair food systems are and ugh, yeah yes, when people think of food like i mean i feel like people just think of like the glamorous like food media yeah foodies and just pictures like food porn but it's <laughs> deeper and i i really love the privilege of being able to delve deeper right yeah for sure um i think we've covered a lot a lot a lot of what i wanted to talk about um as we sort of move into well 2021 we're day four of 2021 as we record this today um and when you look back what are some of the lessons that you've learned that you're going to apply moving before we talk about your big plans what are some of the lessons as you look back that you obviously nobody expected a pandemic <laughs> Uh-huh. And so, but what are the things unexpected even that you learned from the last year that you'll be looking to apply moving forward? Um, wow, that's a deep question. Um, <laughs> yeah, I I think I really feel like like whatever you're feeling inside, like your inner world is manifested outward. Um, I mean, I just saw this on Instagram, (laughs) (laughs) but it resonated with me, but I feel like when I'm really feeling like bad or down about my business and like, like feeling like I can't do it, like it reflects, like I don't get a lot of orders or like, um, I don't get a lot of engagement on my Instagram, but it's, I found that when I really believe in myself and like try to show my personality and just 
yeah, really like bet on myself and believe that this will be successful. That's when um, all the blessings come raining on me. Um, it seems like a very important or basic lesson, but it's something that I had to learn uh, firsthand. So that's something like believing in myself, trusting myself, um, just letting that light radiate. I find that so I have a staff now. I have like three people who help me cook um, and help with orders in the kitchen. And I find that like they were telling me how they're like so used to working in kitchens where like the chef, the head chef is like yelling at them, like yeah. throwing a, a sizzling hot pan in like the sink. <laughs> and it's like, I just don't understand. Like, I just try to be a good person and that manifests in me being like a good manager and a good um motivator and I find that when I'm in a good mood and feeling good about the business that radiates out and people my staff feel inspired and they work better more efficiently um so yeah that I've learned how I have I've learned my leadership style and management style and that is something that I did not really learn within my two years at business school don't tell me about (laughs) they we take a lot of leadership classes and do a lot of group projects and it's like I still didn't really know what my leadership style was um after I graduated but it was by like this year working in the kitchen hiring people um just learning what works that's been so valuable and yeah did I answer yeah, the question? I got yeah, it. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> no, yeah, it did. It did. And in terms of lessons learned, like the whole idea of having a positive mind, because that's easy to say. And even it's actually um, almost um, serendipitous that you saw that Instagram thing, because it's easy to see, you know, to see the Instagram post and like and be like, yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, actually being able, and I feel like last year especially pushed a lot of people to actually live that mindset, right? Yeah. Um, whether you you wanted to or not, and so I particularly that particularly resonated with me because I had a really tough time last year just um, adjusting to you know all of it, yeah. right? You know, the, in terms of the plans I had and how it all seemed to fall apart, and just being able to push forward in spite in spite of it all, and I don't know that 2021 will necessarily be any different but i think that it's now it's the mindset of going into to it that's gonna be the game changer just because now we know sort of i mean i'm optimistic that things will look up but i just based on what i'm seeing i don't think that that's gonna happen this year like cautious optimism and i think yeah people were just caught off guard and we're forced to we're forced into like a new way of living and like interacting with other people. 2021, like um, ostensibly, like we're more equipped for that. Right. It still remains to be seen. It's January 4th today. <laughs> yeah. But I, I think, I, I think that people's expectations have been tempered based on, yeah. based on the experience last year. So, um, so yeah. So as we're looking forward to this year and what it may or may not bring, what, what are your plans for, for Fudena this year? And maybe even let's say like your, you know, longer term vision. Okay, I gotta be really careful about this because <laughs> I really do believe into 
and speaking things into existence. Mm -hmm. But 2021, I really hope that we'll be able to open up our own brick and mortar uh, shop in Philadelphia um, so that we could be open more days a week, five days a week, Um, expanding our menu, expanding our team. Um, What else? Just like, like growing our community, not Mm. just like in Philadelphia, but around the world, just growing a community. I call Fudana customers. I don't call them customers. I call them foodies. Uh. F-U-D-E-E-S. Shout out to my friend and classmate John for giving me that. That's great. But yeah, we call them foodies. um, And yeah, just being able to grow that tribe of foodies throughout the world and just... um, continuing to spread the love of West African culture and the Black diaspora uh, through food. And um, yeah, that's for 2021. Do you want my five-year plan as well? (laughs) (laughs) If if you want to share a high level, like what your big grand vision for taking over the world is. Yeah, exactly what it is, taking over the world. Um, Yeah, five years um, nationwide chain. So I hope you can find us in Philly, D.C., New York, Atlanta, L.A., um, Chicago, Um, just nationwide um, and just, yeah, being able to make West African cuisine more ubiquitous. Yeah, ubiquitous, accessible, all that good stuff. Um, cool. So today, where, where can people find you online in Philly? Where can they find you? So online, you could follow, you could find us at www.eatfudena.com. And our IG handle, Instagram handle is eatfudena. So E-A-T, Fudena, F-U-D-E-N-A. And um, yeah, we're, <laughs> that's our website. And that's our- Yeah. And then in Philly, if someone wanted to order food yeah. now. Philadelphia, we're open every single Sunday from 12 to 7 p.m. Um, you could order from our website for pre-orders. We also do occasional pop-ups, so follow us on Instagram to be updated on that. Just follow us on Instagram just to look at our, <laughs> or follow our journey. Cool. Awesome. Okay, so now we're going to quickly wrap up with our Rapid Fire segment. Um Again, super easy questions. And especially if you listen to the podcast, you've probably heard some of these before. So they may not be as surprising, but um, here we go. Um, are you a morning person or a night person? Oh, uh, do I have to answer one word and no explanation? Um, generally speaking, no explanation, but you can, you can, we still have time. So you can explain a little bit. Um, uh, I'm saying I'm a reformed night person turning <laughs> to a morning person. Okay. What does that mean? Now I have to ask. <laughs> That's what I want to say. Um, yeah, I've just, like, I was always a night owl since I was, like, a teenager just staying up. I, like, came alive at night. But, like, since running a business, I have been, my body has been waking me up at, like, 8 a.m. on a weekend and I'm like why <laughs> I don't understand but it's my body telling me to become a morning person it's really yeah. that's my answer okay um all right um sweet or salty sweet um biggest failure in the kitchen 
Oh man. Uh ooh, there's so many. Uh, <laughs> uh I was going to say my Japanese drill off um attempt because it was my first. Um but it wasn't even that bad. But I'll just say that. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Jollof is finicky actually. It's not as straightforward as as people make it sound. It's um, not I think I've anyway. Um what gets you out of bed in the morning? Um, I really wish was, this was inspirational. Um, <laughs> it doesn't have to be. Honestly, like, this is TMI, but like, I have to go to the bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, okay, let me just say inspirational. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, Fudana gets me up. Just being able to build a brand. Mm-hmm. Um, from the ground up is what gets me up. I've never felt this way before, so I'm really happy. That's cool. And then, lastly, what's your favorite African restaurant anywhere in the world outside of your own? Oh my gosh! Oh man! Ooh. Um. Oh god. Um. Ooh. Let me say. <laughs> uh. Let, let me give a shout out to DC. So, Bukong Cafe and Adams Morgan. Oh, yeah. Adams Morgan is a treasure. Like, yes, yeah, it is. I just love Bukong. Um, quick anecdote. I just, I remember getting stood up for a date. Oh, no. To Bukong, just sat at the bar and got a drink and got a side of jollof rice. And I was like, jollof will never leave me. <laughs> that, was the first, that was like, it's a mess in my relationship with Bukong, so... <laughs> <laughs> that's a great story and a great way to <laughs> oh man I don't mean to laugh at the situation but that's a great story it ended up, and... it ended up good but just like yeah it was... yeah man anyway good story great way to end the conversation thank you so much for your time it's been a pleasure chatting with you, um, thank you. like I said I've been following your story and I'm glad we were able to connect Thank you for listening to Item 13, an African food podcast. If you like the show, please subscribe, rate, and review us on your favorite podcast app. To keep up to date, follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Item 13 Podcast. Item 13 is powered by Simplecast. Thank you for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a non-profit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening. <laughs>